is the Heinz Seelman engaged in a life or death struggles, Peter Scott. They are engaged in a bit of punch-up over repeat fees on the overseas sales of their nature documentaries. Now, they have been joined by an enraged Jacques Cousteau. This is typical of the harsh and bitchy world of television features. Greetings, Tiger Kings, and welcome back to Geek Salad, episode 230, Ken Burns' Geek Salad. We're back after a brief pause to continue the episode, so let's just get right back into it. Take it away, Andy. All right, Mike, what do you got next up for us? All right, I'm going to go back to the movies um, with a series. I've, I've only watched the first three episodes so far, and but... They have been just absolutely amazing, and that's uh, Light and Magic. The history of ILM goes way back. When I was writing Star Wars, there were no special effects houses in the world. So how are we going to do the effects? I realized that I was going to have to start a company. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were not movie people. George wanted a bunch of guys who didn't know what was impossible. We were departing from convention. We had to build equipment from scratch. This was a long shot. We make it look like a professional movie instead of a bunch of kids having fun. We realized nothing is impossible. There was just something here about the people. Suddenly, everybody wants to come to ILM. We were trying to do things that have never been done before. Oh, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's a docuseries on Disney+. Plus. It is basically all about the creation and the um, progression of the industrial industrial light magic ILM. Um, the I think for, so far I've only watched the first three episodes. The first episode, it's necessary because it kind of gives the backstory of like the founding members, but yeah. it's also kind of the weakest one because it yeah it, there's it's really unfocused. It's focused on every single mem- uh, member, but then the second episode and like talking about all the struggles they went through to try and get. Um, Star Wars made is just it just sucked me in and it would not let me go. It was amazing. Just all the struggles, like the the back the fights between Lucas and John Dyk, uh, Dykstra. Um, yeah, like they, they they had to create all this technology. They didn't know if the stuff that could that Lucas wanted to wanted to see. They didn't know if it could be done. They didn't know how it could. They had to create all this new technology, all these new methods. And it is just, and then just seeing like Lucas kind of move like all the people that he liked and he wanted to stay around. He moved them all up to up north and people like Dykstra had to like stick down south in the valley and kind of move off on their, onto their own stuff. So, yeah. Uh, uh, the the biggest kind of on like I, I I just watched the third episode yesterday. The biggest thing that kind of made me baffled though is that the fact that I mean the 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 documentary is directed by Lawrence Kasdan, you know, one of the co-writers of Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. and they don't mention Irvin Kirshner's name at all. Yeah, I mean, no, they don't. This, this is about you know ILM, not Irvin or not Empire Strikes Back, but. 
Right. Did not mention the director at all. It was kind of I, well, I think I think it's because the way that the Star Wars movies were made, because Lucas was the producer, Lucas had more of a hand on the special effects end, whereas um, uh, Kirshner and Richard Marquand, who directed um, Return of the Jedi, they were more just get behind the camera, shoot the stuff, and George could deal with the, the special effects aspect of it. Yeah. Well, that, that's kind of what I figured as well. It was just kind of yeah. weird that it wasn't even mentioned. Yeah. I, I liked it. I've watched the whole series. Um, it's very telling watching it when they interview all these directors who have worked with ILM about um, the, how they view special effects. Every single one of them, from Spielberg, uh, Lucas, Johnston, uh, a whole bunch of them, well, yep, who are, are just like, it, the story comes first, special effects are, are there to complement the story. James Cameron, on the other hand, it's like the special effects are the story. It's like, well, okay, I, well, I guess I'm not seeing <laughs> Avatar 2 then. I mean, and honestly, though, did Lucas. You, did you plan to in the first place? No, I did not, actually. I'm sick of people treating him like he cured cancer. I mean, George Lucas, though, he, he starts off the entire Ducky, Ducky series. Right in the very first beginning of the very first episode, he starts off with saying, movies are special effects. And I just, like, that made me pause. I'm like, um, there, special effects are a big part of it, but uh, you kind of need action and actors and storytelling right but but i do want to point out mike though if you think about it just just hard enough the entire concept of putting enough still pictures together to make a moving image is a special effect yes that my i I, my co-worker brought the same thing when i brought brought that up this morning so that is that is true but you know, nothing nothing will beat the story of George Lucas visiting the set of uh, the twin ta- the two towers and <laughs> looking at the quarter scale model of Helm's <laughs> Deep and going, you know, you could do this all digitally now. And Peter Jackson going, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and the fact that, you know, just scale models work better. They they age better. Like anything done practically ages better. Yeah. than anything done digitally. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't I don't know. There's some aspects of the original Star Wars that look very much their age. <laughs> yeah, that lends to its charm though. I mean it, it is yeah. also kind of I mean, you know, they, they do they do kind of mention about like how um Lucas was like he he saw that digital was going to be the future. Like he, he, yeah. he wanted a digital way of editing. He wanted a digital way of splicing the, you know, the different um, frames together. And you know, he he gave he you know, found like the one of the leading, one of the first CGI guys, and just said, "I this is how I want." And the guy's like, "I don't think I can do it." He's like, "Just think about it. Here's a lot of money." So you know, <laughs> the, the, the thing that the thing that a lot of people kind of tend to dismiss about George Lucas is, is that he's he, he's a good storyteller, but his first love is the actual process of making movies. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. how to do a better job of making movies. Yeah, and, so and that's you know, that's kind of the thing that has always pushed him. And yeah, I mean, say what you will about the prequels. 
he did a lot for digital photography, you know, filmography, you know, or digital filming oh, yeah. and stuff like that and bringing digital, not just di- digital effects, but the actual technology of making, putting film on digital work. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I, that's, a, that's a good point. It's like he's, he's, he does a lot of things well. He does come up with a decent story. He just can't write a script or direct to save his life. I think right. and his, just his, his, stick to what he excels at. <laughs> Right. He, he he wants to tell a story, but he wants to tell a story that pushes the medium of actually making the movie, not the actual cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, above yeah. all else, uh, George Lucas is, is a futurist. He just wants to see technology advance and advance. I mean, everything else is kind of secondary for him. Yeah. Right. He He wants to add to the tools for the filmmakers. Yeah. 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 And that's and that's and that's fine, but he can't write a good character. No. And he no. can't write decent dialogue. But he can come up with a good concept and a good plot. And plots are hard. Some people come up with something it's like that's a setting, not a plot. So Yeah. You know, that is that is a skill. And he well, just you know yeah. yeah, and that's and that's why Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars film because he he was only there to contribute story aspects to it and produce it. Yeah, yeah. And, His and name does with, not appear on the screenplay by. Oh, and I, and after watching the uh, second episode of um, Light and Magic, I'm not mm-hmm. at all surprised at all because he even like he thought he had a heart attack with all the stress he was under for uh, because I guess he did all the filming, all the live action stuff, and then we got back to uh, to you know Van Nuys where ILM was at the time. They had like three sh- special effects shots for him. And he's like, yeah. you spent like over a million dollars and did like spent yeah. six months and you know, all you've got is three shots. I'm never going to, we're never going to get this done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to Catherine. Catherine, what do you get next for us? All right. Um, I'm going to talk about this briefly because it's been a few years, but uh, the going clear documentary oh, on HBO. So good. So good. That, was, that is that was wicked good. Someone had told me there's this cult and they'll make anything possible in your life. I was deeply convinced that we were going to save the world. It was a transcendent experience. You feel euphoric. Everything you do for endless trillions of years depends on what you do within in Scientology. They sell it all in the beginning as something quite logical. You take on a matrix of thought that is not your it's own. It's so strong that it sticks you like glue. Controlled, very suggestible. You just don't see it happening to you. Yeah, that was really informative. And, uh, yeah, just hearing people explain exactly what the hell goes on there. Like, we'd heard rumors, but it was good to, like, really, you know, have the information about what the heck Scientology is. Right. Well, I mean, up to, up until I, uh, up until that documentary came out, really all you knew, all I knew about Scientology was it was a book, you know, Dianetics, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I heard, I heard a lot of rumors. I had like one time I was at the doctor's office. God, I was like 18 or 19. And a guy started preaching Dianetics at me. Oh man. No, see, and even, yeah, it was, even it, then I knew like I heard about the whole, like somebody yeah, like, was like a, a friend of mine told me he was like, oh yeah, but you know, 
all of this stuff and they tell you this and that and i'm like how do they know that and he couldn't tell me because we were 17 but right. it turned out it's like Yep, that that was actually what was going on. Was people were starting to figure out that this was a bad thing and getting out. And like, right. yeah, yeah. It's uh, like at the uh, at, you know in the early mid eighties, like you, you saw the that di- you, you know you saw the Dianetics commercials on TVs with on TV with like the the volcano and shit like that. Yeah. So all you thought, all I knew about it was oh it's like some self help program you know. Yeah. Self help philosophy or something like that. I was like oh, okay, which is very much trendy for that time period well i remember like i i had a vague notion that it was kind of like a religion See, um, no beca- because of, of people like tom cruise and, and john travolta and then the south park episode came out where they had the whole thing about scientology and then they did the whole this is what scientologists actually believe with lord xenu and all that because right, but that, that wasn't but that wasn't until like the mil- the turn of the millennium you know, it wasn't until like the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. South, yeah. South Park was later, but we were still we were still already hearing about it in the 90s. Right. Yeah. And the whole the whole thing on the documentary about Paul Haggis, you know, the director oh, talking yeah. about how he had paid all this money into the church and made it through all these levels. And they they were like, they're finally ready to reveal the secrets. And he's like, wait, aliens? Yeah, he's like, excuse <laughs> me, what? It's it's an interest. It really is an interesting thing because it's just like it's a religion that only helps the famous. Yeah, and it it's like I don't know if anyone ever saw the movie Bowfinger, but they they spoof they spoof Scientology and Bowfinger as well, and it's it's great because they just they need the they need these celebrities to rise the profile of the church itself, and it's like otherwise you're just. You're just a multi-level scam with a with tax exemption. Yeah, yeah. John Travolta. John Travolta totally credits his uh, his resurgence to joining Scientology, and it's like, no, you got a role in Pulp Fiction because you agreed to play the Welcome Back Cotter board game with Quentin Tarantino every day on the set. <laughs> yeah, that's why you. That's why you got back on the scene. Oh man, I gotta watch that again. It's been a few years since that one came out. I really like that one. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute, but yeah, it yeah. was it was interesting. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, Joe, what else you got for us? Well, so, so actually, to kind of follow on what Catherine said, um, there's another Scientology docu series that's on A and E um, that's headed by. Uh, uh, Leah Remini, who used to be the the female lead on King of Queens, yeah, uh, and it's her show is called Scientology and the Aftermath. My whole life, I was a very dedicated Scientologist. David Miscavige, it's a hammer in my face. I didn't want to find out what I'd done was a lie. All the money we spent to try to hang on to my family, they've been owning me for all these years. Something inside of me was saying, get them out of this thing. I was 14 when I started in Scientology. I had a boss who was 35 years old and we had sex. Then the organization did not tell my mother, did not tell the police. They're gonna sweep it under the carpet and it'll all be over with. Because she is the church's most outspoken critic. Yeah. 
and its most famous nice. critic. You know, the, the the you know, I, I guess the high. You know, she was you know a very well known actress from being on King and Queens, you know, and you know various other things, and she is an incredibly vocal critic of the of the church, and the great thing about the the series Scientology and the Aftermath is she co-hosts it with a, a gentleman called Mike Rinder who used to be like the head of their security service or something like that yeah and he was if if he wasn't go he wasn't going clear there's there's some scenes in going clear where you see him where he's the the Australian guy who's yelling at like rep- the reporter that the English reporter who was doing um, the 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 another documentary, but he kind of he got out of the church, and what they do is they talk to former members, and you know they tell you know the former members tell their story, you know, and the, and these are just like these aren't celebrities; these are just regular people who were members of the church who lost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars paying the church. And the things that the church would do to like disconnect them from family. I mean, yeah, you find out this is it's a cult. It's basically a cult from what these people are yeah. telling you. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just there to separate them from their money. It, that, that's basically yeah. what it is. Because the church itself, they you know they the church loves to boast about how big it is. It's got less than ten thousand members, but it's got. All these empty, like they they say, it's basically a, a real estate scam because it's got all these billions of dollars worth of property that sit yeah. empty all across the world. You know, and it's and because it's a church, they get a huge tax write off on it. Yeah, I just you know, and I know Mike, uh, Joe, and Catherine, you both listen to the Behind the Bastards on L. Ron Hubbard, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And oh, like his, I've to all one of them, yeah. One of, his one excursions of the in the Navy. <laughs> One of the best series. His, his excursions in the Navy, and then there was the time that he tried to conceive the Antichrist. <laughs> that was that was another episode his, of Behind the Bastards. His excursions like, in the Navy. There's like six eat. six Behind the Bastards episodes um, that are like there's like a, a three parter, a two parter, and a standalone <laughs> on this fucker. <laughs> oh, it's great! It's great. So, um, are you, are you all set, Joe? I'm all set, yeah. All right, because I'll I'll stay on the religious end of the scammery here uh, with The Way Down, which was on a five-part series on HBO. And that covers um, Gwen Shamblin and the Remnant Church. It was just a massive media hit. Thousands of churches all over the country would have the Way Down workshops. From that point on, she began realizing it needs to be a new church. It is extremely unusual to have a religious group led by a woman. There are men who are elders of the entire church. But the truth of the matter is I don't believe that Gwen is accountable to anybody. That's the reason I call her Gwen Almighty. She's going to decide whether you make it to heaven or not. How members of Remnant behave is a bit like Handmaid's Tale and Stepford Wives. They want you to be clones of them. It's all about appearances. Cross, the Bible, that's all sideshow. It's about money, prestige, power. That's her holy trinity. So oh, yes, I saw this. I just I saw this a couple we saw this a couple of weeks ago here at the house. Oh my god. So oh. to, to, 
to give you some background, so, Andy the hair. Oh my god! Well, that's what that's what it's like. They pick the perfect thumbnail for you to look at it. And go, I want to watch that. So the <laughs> the way down covers Gwen Shamblin as as her humble beginnings as a diet guru who used religion to um, to promote weight loss. You know, if you pray hard enough, God will make you not hungry and you will lose weight. And apparently it sold millions of books and she 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 started creating a follow a religious following and she created the remnant church. And the remnant church is very very different in terms of other evangelical churches because they she doesn't recognize the Holy Trinity. It's almost like she is the Lord God of this church. Yep. And just like Scientology, um, because the whole church is in this, this one community, they encourage people who are joining the church to move to this community. Was it Tennessee, I think? Yeah. Um, of course, it's Tennessee. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you Sorry, need to – you shun your um, – you shun your family who aren't part of the church, and you only become friends with people within the church. And if you're going to cheat on your spouse, you cheat on your spouse with somebody else in the church. True story on this. So it's just – it's crazy, and the craziest part about the whole thing – and I'm not spoiling this because it shows up in the first episode. They were filming this, and Gwen Chamblin died in a, in a plane accident, a plane crash. Yep with her husband and five other people. And it's just like they went through all this archival footage and they were showing just how she lived the life of a, of a, of a um, typical TV preacher, you know, very, very lived very, very well for herself and showed off the showed off the glamor and, and the riches and all that. And, you know, everybody else was kind of living barely paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, she wasn't paying her, the people working in her church, even though she had, had come up with lucrative agreements for them, never paid them or like, oh, we, I never agreed to that. We're going to change that. Um, it's it's crazy. It, the whole thing is crazy. And then going into the final two episodes that were shot, they, they had to like they had to kind of refocus their energy as to how they were going to do it because she was dead. They focused mm -hmm. on his her husband who had um, an ex-wife, and they had a kid together, and there was a huge custody thing with this kid that she just didn't get the kid immediately because of her, um, you know, because her the, the the kid's father was dead now, and we were like Autumn and I were watching like, oh god, I hope that kid wasn't on the airplane, you know, like that kind of yeah of thing. It's it's so crazy, and it's just again, it's one of those things where. You know, you're you're you live your life and you 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 owe your soul to the company's store and you're not getting anything else out of it other than, well, you only lost two pounds this week. So you're a sinner. Um, and just like, yeah, you, and it's like it's it, it, it all revolved around public shaming and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. It was great seeing the testimonials of the people who got out. And were happy, and you could tell they had put weight on, and they were just they were living a better life. But just all the the lives and families this woman destroyed was just just crazy. So, Mike, cheer us up. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, well, I mean, um, I could cheer us up, or I could go with another scam. Oh, God. Is it I a happy some scam? Class action park, sir. As you entered the park, you saw this thing, and you're like, this is real. The engineering behind this, if there was any engineering, was just nuts. Build it higher, make it faster, people control the action. Combine that with liquor and anything goes. There were no rules. For a lot of kids, that was heaven. And if you couldn't swim well, yikes. I don't think you can understand a place like Action Park if you don't understand the kind of minds that build it. A lot of people wish they could ignore rules. Gene actually did that. Nobody would give him insurance, so he created his own insurance company and then insured himself. It did bring sometimes a criminal element. I don't know how many people died at Action Park, but it wasn't just one person. Electrocuted. Decapitated. Fractured vertebrae. Impaled on the bowl. Had a heart attack. Nobody should ever be the second person to die in a wave pool. Close the wave pool. Oh, oh God. that's a happy scam. Oh my God. And that's I know we've all seen that one. Yeah, I've said it once. I'll say it a thousand times. Had I gone there in the in like the mid '80s as a teenager, I would be dead. Oh, we'd all be. Oh, Andy, we'd all either be dead or in traction. God, what a! I just the thing is from the, yeah. The thing is, I don't think there's any documentary or anything, any show that more perfectly encapsulates the 1980s than that does, than that class action park. And what it was like to be a child. Oh, absolutely. A a latchkey kid in the 80s. I just, well, I also think it encapsulates a lot of the other things too. Essentially the, hey, I've got tons of money. No one can tell me that I can't make make an entire amusement park by just scribbling stuff on the back of a cocktail napkin. Right. Oh, no one wants to insure me? Okay, I'll insure myself. Yep, exactly. Oh, you forgot how fucking rich I am, huh? I own the insurance company. Yeah, I've got, I've got cocaine and an insurance company. Let's go. <laughs> the town's mad at me? No, don't worry, I'll buy you a bunch of a whole fleet of ambulances. You just got to use them all at my park. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, you'll need to use them, and you will. Yes. But I mean, the thing is, it's like... The, Class action park here. We, we can we can, okay. we can identify we can identify with each and every one of the people they interviewed. Oh you God, know, yeah, workers there because like, oh yeah, I did that when I was. Oh, yep, no, I I would have done the same thing. Oh yeah, I was there. You know, it's like, you know, being be, you know, the three out of the four of us were basically latchkey kids. You know, we we were raised ourselves because our parents were working all the time. Yep. You know? and Mike and, actually worked at an amusement park. Right. He did. He did. And, and yeah, but uh, oh, yeah, I wasn't if, exactly if, a latchkey if, kid if, for most of it. I got to go to fucking daycare. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I had a. I've actually if, got coworkers who have been to Class Action Park. Like Andy said, given the opportunity, if I could have hopped onto my bicycle and ridden, ten, you know, five, ten miles to an amusement park where I had yeah. no supervision whatsoever, oh, I yeah. would have been there yeah. every day during the summer. Well, I don't know if I ever shared the story with you guys. So my, my, my college roommate, Deacon, grew up in New Jersey, and his mother would take uh, Deacon and his sister and her two uh, – her husband's kids. They were never like stepchildren. They were just the other two. And she would take them <laughs> to, to Action Park and just like uh, – Deacon and his sister weren't allowed to do anything. Like, yeah, just have an ice cream. 
what, what about them? Oh, fuck them. If they die, they die. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by going to Action Park, the odds of that are severely increased. Exactly. It's, it's like this. It's like, okay. They go down the rope swing? Fuck them. I don't care. Well, you know, one person, one person dies, one person dies in the in the in the wave pool. You feel bad? <laughs> Why is there a second person that died? <laughs> you know, the worst part about that was though is that they were purposely putting the least experienced lifeguard in that area. It's like, okay, this is where the people die. You gotta go on this one, noob. All right, let, let's give let's give them let's give these unlicensed people. At full access to uh, these mini water, uh, you know, mini power boats in a lake that's filled with oil and, and venomous and snakes. eels and snakes. Oh my god. Hey, what happens when a body. <laughs> or the go karts yeah, racing go karts that, you know, yeah, let's give a bunch of drunk teenagers in the 80s. Oh my god. <laughs> it's right next to the beer house. They don't have to run to the park. <laughs> and they get I, I love, yeah exactly. I, I love yeah. that can they go down the alpine slide I don't know do they need helmets fuck them <laughs> I, I love I love the fact that they could not only take those those go-karts off off the track onto the highway but the beer house was right next door if you've listened to the Behind the Bastards on this one, I just remember Robert going, what a perfect human being. Yes. <laughs> this guy is living the libertarian dream. He, 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 oh, yeah, he's like, oh, he was, he was falling in love with Gene every time he'd say something. Oh, my God. <laughs> because Robert wasn't reading it. It was, uh, who was it? Was it Gareth? Gareth. Gareth. Yeah. Gareth, yeah, Garrison was, was uh, doing that one, which was... Like he must have read the same article that the 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 class action park de- uh, documentary was based on because it was like just point for point. <laughs> you know the, you know what the doll needs to do a, an episode of the class action park. I they think did. They, might have. they oh, did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go look for it. I'll go look for it. But I, yeah. Oh my god. It's you might go ahead. Sorry. This was your your pick. So. Well, I think everything that you need to know about Eugene Mulvihill, you know, the guy who created Action Park comes down to the fact that he 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 brought in Donald Trump to invest in it. I mean Donald Trump was like, you guys you've gone way too far for me. I'm out. That's yeah. just everything you need to know. Like, dude, you got, when Donald Trump's like, dude, you gotta dial it back. He's like, okay. And 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 full on full on 80s coke snorting Trump. Yeah. Like, this, dude, yeah. You need to you need to back off. Yeah. Oh God. It was it was so much fun explaining oh to coworkers who had not seen not seen the documentary, not really heard about it. They like, you know, because I've got coworkers that grew up in like New Jersey or very adjacent to it. Like one of my coworkers had actually been a couple times, and then his parents were like, "There's been deaths there. You're not going ever again." He was like, "Oh, okay." Yep. Telling him the on the slide. <laughs> yeah, um, we uh, Andy and I mentioned this to Jonna, and um, you know, she works for the um, you know theme park inspection unit out in California. Yeah. So she watched it and she was just amazing. Then she showed it to one of her, one of the engineers that actually inspects the theme parks. And he was like, how <laughs> could this even get made? This is so illegal on so many levels. <laughs> Jersey, man. Welcome, welcome to New Jersey. <laughs> welcome to New Jersey in the 80s. That's where, where, I, where, I, mobs, I, where mobsters outrank everybody else. Oh my God. It's just, it's, 
it's so insane. And the, the sick thing about the documentary itself is, though, is that, like, you're riding this high of schadenfreude until they start saying, and this kid died, had his, his skull cracked in and died. And these right. people well, drowned. Like, this kid got electrocuted. It's like, oh. Right, exactly. You know, you're, I, I, the, the, the one dude, the one with the glasses, you know, that oh, yeah. kind of stole the show. You're, like, riding along with him. You're thinking, oh, this is awesome. You're laughing along with him. And all of a sudden, you hear about the guy who died. And you're like, Jesus Christ, why am I a horrible human being? Yeah. <laughs> and at the, end uh. of the, at the end of it, they, like, wrap it up. It was like, suck it up. It's Jersey. <laughs> we survived. Well, that's, they, like, they, you know, that's like well, the you know, they, quota they, of the show. You know, they, they, he made a great point, and and I kind of had a conversation about this with my dad because it's like you realize how fucked up things were back then. That you know, kids. This was the only outlet a lot of kids had because their parents were working and shit like that, and so they had nothing else going on. And the, he he says like. Yeah, we laugh about it now, but this is the shit we talk about to our therapist, too. Yeah. (laughs) And I had that conversation with my dad. Like, yeah, dad, you know, mom was working. You know, my parents are divorced, so my mom raised me. And my my parents, my mom was working all the time. I had had to take care of myself. And that's pretty fucked up for a 10, 11-year-old kid. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. He's like, well, no, but, I mean, you came out of it okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, but I shouldn't have to have to go through that. Yeah. My response to that would be no. No, I didn't turn out okay. Exactly. I am a messed up individual. (laughs) Yeah, I eventually turned out okay, but there was a lot of stumbling blocks you didn't fucking help with. Yeah. You should see my therapy my therapy bills, Dad, okay? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. God. I turned out okay and you didn't help. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else we have to say about Class Action Park? If you haven't seen it, see it. I yeah. I have watched it like five times, and I'm I am still consistently entertained by it. And every yeah. time I describe it to somebody who's not familiar with it, they all immediately like, I have to watch that. Yeah. And if, if you're not sold yet, it is. Watch the rest. Yeah. If you're not sold yet, it's also narrated by John Hodgman. That's right, it is. Oh, yeah. God, I forgot about that. I love John Hodgman. All right, Catherine. All right. Uh, let's bring this back to a better place. Uh, I watched this. I watched a, a documentary about the lovings on HBO a few years back. I didn't know there was a law against it. So we could go away, but it's the principle. It's the law. I don't think it's right. Lady sentenced us to one year in state penitentiary. What are the things that can only be done together by man and wife that they can do in Virginia? We'd pinch ourselves and say we're handling a major civil rights case. I'm not going to divorce. And, oh, yeah, okay. So chill for this one. Yeah, if they, if they, like, I'm sure that part of the reason that they were picked to go to the Supreme Court was because that was the last name. Because mm. mm. you know the 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 when you're gonna take something to the Supreme Court, you you kind of have to politic it a bit. Yeah, and I'm sure that there were a lot of interracial couples, but the fact that their le- the legal last name was Loving, yeah, was part of it. And they don't go into that in the documentary, but 
like having having heard other things about uh, cases that they bring to the Supreme Court, I think that was probably you know people are like, uh, you kind of have what we need, but uh, your story is not great, and we need a better story to bring to the Supreme Court, which is you know fucking bullshit. But anyway, um, you can read behind between the lines. But yes, but yeah, but the other thing is that they were a really happy couple. Yeah, and yeah. It was amazing, you know, like it was a it was it's just a really great story of a loving couple that needed to go to court to be together. <clears throat> and yeah. that it shouldn't it it, it it frustrates you that our country was ever like that and it still is to a certain extent and people want to turn back yeah. the clock. And it's just like yeah. what is wrong with you people? Yeah, they they think that you know, this this is a messed up thing and they want to fix it and let's just say it. Fuck you, Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I normally don't wish bad things on people, but uh, him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's tough not to. Yeah, it's the whole... I mean, I, I honestly wasn't that familiar with the names of the people within the case until the movie came out because um, there was a movie that came out called Loving. And it's like, oh, that sounds sweet. And then I found out, I was like, oh, it's about the anti-miscegenation cases in uh, that was brought to the Supreme Court. Never mind. Um, but yeah, no, I, I haven't seen it. But um, I, it, that does sound like it would be a, a a very inspiring watch. Yeah, yeah, it's it. You know, I I like again. This was years ago, but it was very well done, and it's just. <laughs> It's hopeful. We need hope. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Catherine, anything else to say about the, the loving story before we move over to Joe? Nope. All right. What do you got, Joe? All right. Um, I got another wild kind of wild one and kind of messed up one to uh, to uh, talk about. And this one's called um, Abducted in Plain Sight. My brother was always a sexual pervert. He always did like his little girls. Birchtoll said, I want to take Jan out horseback riding. When she didn't come home, I was a little nervous. It was a nationwide search. Jan went with me voluntarily. They bring in aliens and mind washing. The mission was that I was to have a child that would save the alien planet by the time I turned 16. The Brobergs say the attacks still continue. If you're laying a trap for me, I'll His number one goal was to seduce Jan Broberg. And if he had to destroy the family, he would do it. And it's kind of it's kind of wild. It's it, it, it's about an actress. Her name is um Jan oh Jan Broberg. Okay. And she she is she's an actress. She's been in a few things. It's, she's like one of those uh, background actresses that if you saw her, you'd instantly recognize her. But it's mm-hmm. not somebody that really kind of stands out. But basically, her story was she was abducted abducted when she was twelve years old by a family friend who took her to to uh, Mexico. They found her, brought her back, and she was abducted again two years later. By the same family friend. Oh, God. Oof. Yeah. And <laughs> he was still it, a family friend after that. He was still a family friend. And no, he was still a family friend because he blackmailed the parents. Oh, God. 
And so the the setup for the story is that the, these parents are fundamental evangelical Christians. Now they don't ex- say exactly what denomination they are, but they're out in the out in the like desert wet, you know, mountain west. Yeah. So you kind of they imply that they're more they might be Mormon. But they're like, yeah, they're weirdo Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're, they're the kind of weird. Sounds like the kind of weirdo Mormon that the like Mormons that are trying to get somewhere politically are like, yeah, we can't have them around anymore. <laughs> right. Well, the thing the thing was the thing was. So, so this quote unquote family friend blackmailed them by how do you think they blackmailed the parents? <laughs> I mean, what's the most, you know, if you, they're bigamous lifestyle, yeah, no, no, they weren't, no, they weren't, that's the thing, they weren't polygamous or they weren't bigamist, they were actually a, a, a couple, you know, they, they, one, one, you know, one man, you know, one husband, one wife. But he okay, managed so. to, he had an affair with the wife and the father and the husband. Oh, uh, God. Yes. That was kind of right. <laughs> and so, a wild scene, and, and you know, just a kind of a, tr- a trigger warning for anybody is so. Too late. He, too late. Anyway, so he's, so the family friend and the father are out for a drive, you know, I, I guess they're going for a drive somewhere, you know, they're chatting it up and the, the guy pulls over and, he, you know, now the father is narrating, he's, he's sitting on, you know, he's, they got the camera, the guy's, he's, the father's being interviewed about this and he's telling the story about how his family friend took him for a drive and pulled over and he's like, you know, well, you know, my wife hasn't, you know, hasn't been taking care of me. And, I, you know, there's certain urges that, you know, I got to have taken care of. So he starts, you know, taking care of himself in front of the father. And, he, and oh, God, I can't, I can't even anymore. Oh, boy. Well, let's so just the say. Father, the father helps? Yes. Oh. But the thing on, but the thing that's wild was the kind of very, like, flippant and, just, just the casual way the father said it in the interview. It's just like it threw me back. It wasn't like any like shock or anything like that. It's just like he's just like, so yeah, I took care of him, and I'm like, wait, what? Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Man, if it's, we didn't live in such a repressed country, we'd be much better off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, they just need to be a polycule. <laughs> leave the children alone. Well, no, but that, but that, the, the thing is, he, the, the family friend did this entire thing just to get the daughter. You know, so yeah. he, he, he blackmailed the parents for the express purpose of kidnapping the, the, the daughter. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Wow, that that's crazy. Strung up. Yep. Yeah, we, the the levels of human depravity that you learn from watching documentaries, it blows your mind. Yeah. Why do you think I watch the documentaries that I do watch? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, I'll I'll, t- I'll I'll take one that's just pretty much a you know, hey, glad we didn't fall for that, and that is uh, Lula Rich, which was on <laughs> um, Amazon Prime. Women were selling breast milk so they could afford startup costs. It had just become a circus. Woo-hoo! 
Mark starts spouting off passages from the Book of Mormon. A mass delusion. Oh my God, I'm in a cult. Did any of them have a clue how to run a company of this size? No. What is the real story of Lil Da da da. We want to see women succeed. That's where the business started. There's magic in the air, but most people have not sold anything. There became the push to put off a successful image. Deanne said, I got the weight loss surgery. I can hook you up. What the f***? They wanted them to drink the Kool-Aid. Let's just shower people with events. In 14 months, we experienced $2 billion worth of growth. They're using cheap language of feminism. We were empowered, and then the husband was supposed to take over. What inspired the empowerment of women for you? Can I jump in there, and then you yeah. can talk? Yeah. And this this covers the LuLaRoe uh, leggings industry. Oh, yeah, they, they, they talked about that bullshit on uh, Scam Goddess. Yeah, oh, God. It's... <laughs> I, I, I never even heard of this until I watched the trailer for this. Oh, my God. It's it's crazy because, like, I mean, from from the word go, it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah, it's you know, a pyramid scheme and also, a you know, here's how to avoid copyright infringement. Oh, yeah. The, the, their, their designs were, like, they were trying to, like, duck. And the, but the best part, no, the best ones are the some of the prints, the way they they oh. put them or <laughs> it, it put onto the pant onto the leggings will become highly inappropriate when the leggings are put on. There was the yeah, there was the infamous. Um, I think it was a hot dog, but the way it was placed made it look like a dick. Uh, yes. There was a butterfly that was put like directly in the crotch seam, like dead center. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, highly, highly inappropriate suspect. But what killed me about this was just the the flippant nature of the company once their buyers were compl- started to complain about um, the quality of the stuff that they were getting because they said it was coming in wet. It was coming in. It, it had a, an odor to it. And the, the, the head company was just like, yeah, whatever, you're going to sell it. And you're going to yeah. buy more next month because that's your agreement. And it's just these people just ended up with so much of this stuff in their garages. And, ha- you know, they just they couldn't unload it. And the right, company well, really they, just – yeah. Because they had min- like minimum order quantities. They had to order a certain yep. – you know, if, if they wanted to get the best, the best, um, the best prints, you know, the, the, the highest selling prints – they had to order a certain amount, yeah, know, dollar amount every month. You know, and it's like, and it, the, the interesting thing too is that the whole thing is marketed as you know, women can work from home. It's like most market, multi market, uh, multi level marketing scams. Um, it's 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 targeted for women to work from home, and the thing with this one was is that yeah, they had the women who were setting up their you know, their Facebook shops and all that, and they're setting up their social media presence. But when it came down to it, the the head office would only really talk to their husbands Ugh, about yeah. it because there was still a bit, oddly enough, there was still like a religious bent to it. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was more, it might, I think it might've been Mormons actually. I think they were Mormons, yeah. I think it was, it's, yeah. And, and this is, you know, I, this isn't, this isn't a uh, knock on Mormonism. Uh, this isn't a knock on Mormonism, but 
for some reason, and this is something that's actually spoken about a lot, is that the re- the the religion itself lends itself very well, or the 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 Mormon light, you know, the people, you know, Mormon adherents, the the their outlook yeah. on life lends itself very well to these kind of pyramid schemes. That's why yeah. Utah is the it, it, Utah is the home to the highest concentration of ML, MLMs in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. This uh, was actually one of the funny things I saw about the trailers. Like, they asked, like, they're interviewing these like you know, executives of this pyramid scheme, and like they ask of like a question about feminism, and the husband's like, oh, "Why don't I start this off, and then you can finish it, honey?" Oh. <laughs> Hi, like, can you please mansplain feminism to me? <laughs> I would, but your feminist brain wouldn't understand it. <laughs> Oh man, it's just it's just one of those crazy documentaries that when we found it because I had heard about the LuLaRoe documentary, I'm like, oh, we gotta we gotta watch this, and it was like just three episodes. Uh, maybe we'll watch one tonight, and then we'll just you know we'll, we'll do like one a night. We watched all three in one night. So <laughs> just keep going, <laughs> damn you, autoplay. <laughs> but yeah, it was. It, it totally worth watching if you haven't watched it yet because it's just it's insane and the people who, who ran the company you know they're they're being put up for deposition and they're just it's just they're so smug and they're so above they're above the fray and you just really just want the ceiling to collapse in on them yeah they're like hey, we're awesome <laughs> Yeah, it almost it almost kind of it fell pretty hard, hasn't it? I mean, I mean, it's st- I know it's still around, but it's not at the level that it was. Oh no, years. yeah, no, it, their their shares took a major hit. Like their 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 sales are just in the toilet now. So, all right, Mike, what yes. else you got for us? All right, well, let's uh, go back to some uplifting here. And uh, this one's on Amazon Prime. I, I I think it used to be a free, but you do have to buy it or rent it right now. But it is well worth the money. It's uh, I'll wait. Called, it's a documentary called Laddie, the Man Behind the Movies. In the summer of 1977, my whole family piled into the car and drove to the Avco Cinema. But not to see a movie, to see the line for a movie. Why? Because my dad, Alan Ladd Jr., is the film executive who gave George Lucas the green light to make Star Wars. He's also the most influential movie executive you've never heard of. During his career, he's been an agent, a producer, an executive, and a studio head. With 150 Academy Award nominations and 50 Academy Award wins, he's one of the most prominent executives in the history of Hollywood. Not that any of this impressed me much growing up, Just as my dad spent years trying to escape the shadow of his own illustrious father, I tried everything I could to do the same. In the end, I also gravitated to the movie business, and every job I did, someone inevitably had a story about my dad. I decided it was time to sit down with all my dad's friends and colleagues and hear what they had to say about the man they call Laddie. And it is a documentary all about Alan Ladd Jr., um, done by his daughter, actually. Um, And this was actually done before he... uh, he passed away just like, I want to say just last year. Um, yeah, and, he did. And she did this before that. And so she, you know, she has interviews with him. But I mean, 
if you've never heard of Alan Ladd Jr., and a lot of people don't, um, you really should learn more about him because if it wasn't for Alan Ladd Jr., we wouldn't have Star, no Wars. Star Wars. We wouldn't have Alien. We wouldn't have um, so many vitally important movies that we do. I mean, he he's the one that actually was the one that was keeping the, all the 20th Century Fox executives at bay while they're all trying to, you know, uh, shit can George Lucas in Star Wars because the you know it's yeah. running over budget and over time. And he's like, no, you're not canceling this. He's going to get it done. And yeah, he he just he went out on a limb for so many uh, struggling artists, directors, um, and just because he had so much faith that what they would do would be important, and he was right every single time. Yeah, but wasn't it wasn't the fact that that he he allowed Lucas to have the the licensing right, the the merchandising rights, to cost him his job? Uh. I, or it was I, a contributing factor. It, it might have been, but you know, he 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 was at um he was at Fox for quite some time, and then he went off. Yeah. and started his own um company, and you know, I mean, as much as I'm not a big fan of uh, a Blade Runner, it was an important movie, and he managed to get that one made. Um, he got Thelma Louise made, he got Braveheart made, he got uh, Willow made, Alien. Um, the fish called Wanda, Police Academy. I mean, he is behind a lot of really, really important movies, and mm-hmm. most people don't even know who he is. So this, and especially considering this documentary is made by his daughter, um, and you know, she when she was growing up, he was just always working at the studios and all that. So she really didn't have any kind of connection with him. And it's really kind of through this documentary that she gains she gains a much more in in depth knowledge into her own father. Um, I think he actually was also behind. Um, he's the one that allowed uh, um, Mel Brooks to make Young Frankenstein in black and white. Okay. So you know, you know, think about like all the questionable. Um, movie experiences back in like the 70s and 80s and he probably had a moment in uh, a hand in there it's just funny when you think about it too because i like the stu- like the executives at the studio and the, the like the flex that they put and they never they, their names never show up on the poster or anything like that it's it is interesting because i just watched a the the offer on paramount plus which isn't a documentary but like how involved Robert Evans was on making The Godfather. And he wasn't a producer. He was just the studio exec. He was studio executive at Paramount. So it's it's very, very similar to what Ellen Ladd was doing. That's that's pretty interesting, Mike. Hmm. Yeah, I mean the guy the guy was just so amazing. Um he he did win an Academy Award for Best Picture for producing Braveheart in nineteen ninety six. Um but yeah I mean just if you just pull up like his um his uh, producing credits on Wikipedia here, um, he produced uh, Police Academy, which you know, same as <laughs> about the sequels. That first one was pretty damn funny, and yeah, he he had some bombs too. He was a producer of the Phantom with Billy Zane, um, you know, Billy yeah, Zane, Billy Zane. Yep. Yeah. yep, 
Um, hey, I can't. I can't handle Billy Zane in spandex. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> very few people can. Trust me. Pur- purple spandex <laughs> and vertical lines. So. Yeah, I guess the last movie that he actually produced before his death was the uh, that Elvis biogra- biography that just came out, and it's dead oh. memory. Okay. But yeah, so that would be that's uh, that's my next my next pick. Interesting, excellent, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, Catherine, do you have anything left on your list? I'm like looking at your. Yeah, stuff here. I have. I have nothing else that I've watched. I mostly like. I we don't like watch a lot of television. Mostly, I do like. I've got some docu series that I listen to on podcasts, but that wasn't exactly yeah. in the homework. So. Well, you can listen. Okay. Up. Yeah. Okay. So there was a uh, trapped in treatment, which is uh, funded by Paris Hilton because ah. uh, she, she was one of the people that got stuck in one of those awful torture camps where people uh. send their children when they misbehave with drugs or anything that they decide, you know, yep. I have money and I will pay you to kidnap my child and stick them in a horrible torture camp. Eesh. And it turns out that was something that happened to Paris Hilton. And she was like, I'm going to fund this series. So like, they started mm. the series. You know, the first season focuses on the place where Paris Hilton went. But they don't really, like, she funds it, but she's really not a part of it. Mm. Um, they have, like, a couple other people, like, report. There's a, a investigative reporter and a survivor from that particular location go into yeah. it and talk to people that were there and people who had worked there. And so it's and and this is this is a known thing that like people get sent off. It's like, oh, we're gonna take your kids and they're gonna be better. And it's like it turns out that they're just tortured. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're gonna dig a giant hole and then you're gonna fill it in. And at no point will we give you water or bathroom breaks during this point. Jeez. And all kinds of horrible crap. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it is admirable that she's doing that too because it kind of like it removes the punchline aspect right. of her entire career because this is something that she felt very strongly about because it affected her so badly. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was something she suffered, but she's not parading it around by being the star of the show. Right. She's just she's just making sure it happens, and 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 so that's you know. The, the that that's important to me mm. um so that's one of them uh, another one was uh heaven's gate mm-hmm. which is uh about like it's a really in-depth like long thing about like the whole heaven's gate tragedy mm. And uh, yeah. that one was very interesting because, like, we've all heard about it. You may have heard an episode or two, but this is a long form di- deep dive into it. They talk to, like, the family members of the survivors. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know if I'd be and, able to, I don't know if I'd be able to watch and listen to that one because uh, just hearing the story gave me nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one that one was. It was tough, but it was interesting because uh, Glenn Washington, who did it, uh, it turned out that he had grown up in a cult. Oh, okay. And so they they like take an episode off to be like, okay, let's talk about your history, because it's like, okay, so your black family was raised in a white supremacist cult. How did that go? 
Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, very long. <laughs> but yeah, and then, then then they go back to it. But like, you know, you've heard you've heard the jokes about Bo, this is Peep. You know, like like Lewis Black doesn't yeah. fit on it, and it's just like there's just so much more to it, and it's so messed up. Oh man, Joe, do you get so, someone to uh, to pull us out of this? Anything to make us happy? Or um, well, actually, yeah, I, I'll say I'll, I'll say you're left my my last one, my last uh, depressing one for the next round. But my next one's um, is uh, is on Netflix. It's called uh, Formula One Drive to Survive. Shocking. All right. Know. These guys have an almost fighter pilot mentality, and that's what separates them from mere mortals. All I ever do is pray for a safe race. I never thought that I'd be there one day watching my son. For me, it's heart attack after heart attack. Are you okay, Nico? Get me out, there's fire, there's fire. the danger, that adrenaline and that excitement. They have crashed! They've gone into each other! Ah, what a I'll do anything I can to get the best results possible. I'm not worried about dying. Um, <laughs> cars! Cars! Not just cars, Formula One cars. Um, hmm. No, it's actually, it's actually a very popular um, uh, documentary on the Formula One World Championship. And it... <laughs> Directly contributed to the sport's immense growth in the last five years, especially here in the in the United States. Um, yeah, and it's it's a great behind the scenes look at what makes the Formula One cha- World Championship what it is. Um, you know the amount of work that it takes to put these cars on the track, and it adds a lot of drama to something that. You know, when you look at a you know when you look at a race, you just see cars going around in a circle. You don't realize there's, there's a lot more to it than just that, and there's a lot yeah. of drama behind the scenes that doesn't get shown on the track, or you know, it doesn't get talked about during during the race broadcast. And this does a great job of really digging in, digging in into what makes you know Formula One what it is, and really the human side of the sport. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the, and the drama in Formula One is, you know, light years beyond anything that possibly in NASCAR. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, NASCAR is just a bunch of good old boys. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of good old boys listening to Luke Bryan. And, yeah, you know. Get the Woo! <laughs> so, awesome. Awesome. Cool. All right. Um, I, oh, that's me. Yeah. All right, I'm only, I'm only, I, I know we're kind of running long on time here, so I'm only going to do one more, and that is uh, from HBO McMillions, which was the um, the plot to defraud the uh, McDonald's Monopoly game. I have a story for you. This story has got everything: revenge, drugs, greed. Ronald McDonald. Somebody went to the FBI and said, guess what's happening? The McDonald's Monopoly game was fixed. The Bureau thought it was just some BS story. Fast food fraud was not making any list of priorities. Are you kidding me? This is what makes my fun meter go. 
McDonald's Monopoly game gave millions of people a chance to win. But from 1989 to 2001, there were almost no legitimate million-dollar winners. That was so much fun to watch. Oh, my God. It was... It's like, you know, it's like you're watching it like stay for the, you know, come for the intrigue, stay for the hillbillies, because there is just like so much white trash. You're thinking when when I first heard about this, you know, when the news broke about broke about this, you know, 20 odd years ago, you're you're thinking to yourself, okay, these are these guys must be like criminal geniuses to have just. No, it's a. Frumpy, dumpy, white trash hillbilly out in the middle. Yeah. I was like, how did he pull this shit off? <laughs> it's like, how could he pull shit like that off and I have trouble getting myself out of bed in the morning? Right, exactly. <laughs> Some people are more driven when all you're doing is, you know, running when the local yeah, uh, sanitation <laughs> company. I guess when your whole life is criming, I, I suppose, you know. It, it has to be, but it was just like listening to the people who like were bought in on this, and they were buying the the high dollar pieces, but it was costing them a lot to have to do, and a lot of like just capital up front. It just wasn't a the whole thing. I mean, it it it, did, it wasn't as yeah, it like was, fun yeah, and wacky really, as I thought it was going to be. It was depressing at times. Yeah, it was very cost intensive, very cost intensive for very little return. Right. And that, like, was, why, that was that was. Why are you putting so much effort into this? And then asking these people to like have to make up these stories that they couldn't maintain while they're being interviewed, and just oh, the geez. yeah. But the the funny thing is, the federal agent who was in charge of the whole thing, it was just like was cool as a cucumber. The entire like every interview with him, he's just like laid back and he's just really relaxed. But I, 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 but I loved, <laughs> but the thing is, I love, I loved the when they actually tried, you know, they when they set up the sting, when the FBI oh. agent set up the sting, and the guy is like sitting there, <laughs> they, they go to the beach with the fake, the big fake check and everything else like that. <laughs> it's just like, dude, if you put this much effort into actually doing something legitimate, you wouldn't be living in a trailer in dumb fuck Florida, okay? Yep. <laughs> Oh man, it's it, it really is good. It's worth it's worth the watch. So, I'm going to close myself out on that one, Mike. Um, any anything you want to close us off on? Any any couple you want to talk about real quick? Um, yeah, I've got a, one that's on Disney Plus. Um, it's a series. It unfortunately it's only one season. I was hoping it would have a second season, but it's been a couple of years, a few years now, so probably not. Called uh, yeah. It's but it's called Prop Culture. In a movie, every detail, no matter how small, is designed to tell you something. And ever since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with finding out more. I want to see it first. I'm Dan Lanigan, and I spent my entire life collecting artifacts from my favorite films. Now, I'm setting out to learn more about the props from the Disney movies that I love. Captain Jack's iconic frock coat. (laughs) He rocks this costume. The actual Codalus. What? These are more than just props and costumes. This is a real cinema relic. It is. Sort of like me. Uh, That wasn't too bad. I I don't know if I was expecting more out of it, but I liked what I saw with it. Yeah, it's basically just this guy going around, you know, interviewing the 
you know, the makers behind various uh, Disney, you know, blockbuster movies like, you know, you know, old classics like Mary Poppins, newer ones like Pirates of the Caribbean, did Tron, he did Chronicles of Narnia, but just yeah. uh, finding just finding uh, the old like props around that, you know, possibly lost, but he finds them and you know, uh, there's a, an episode where he does um he finds what was the um the shrinking gun from uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, but it'd been like so <laughs> modified for like the future movies and all that, but he actually had he actually found a um like a prop designer and all that to just take away all the newer stuff and just make it as authentic to the original movie as possible. Yeah. Uh, and it, that was, that was really amazing. Uh, you know, he had did a, a short on, uh, he did an episode on um, the Muppet movie and he actually brought in uh, Joel Hodgson from uh, MSC3K and they <laughs> went to the, um, the Muppet museum in uh, another, the, the like the car museum in Minnesota where they found the original uh, Muppet Studebaker all painted yep. up. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a great show on uh, Netflix. Uh, I mean, uh, Netflix, yeah, Disney Plus. And um, I think I'll wrap wrap out with a quick mention of one of the best Jaws documentaries I've ever seen. It's called Jaws: The Inside Story. It's totally for free on YouTube. Um, I don't know if it was made for anything like before YouTube, but that's where I found it and that's where I watched it. And it's about an hour and 40 minutes long. It is just, just the struggles that Spielberg had to go through and, and to make that movie when he really didn't know any better. He was just a young, you know, fresh faced director. Uh, he had one hit under his belt. Um, and he just chose to do it the hardest way possible. <laughs> he, he was um, under debt, you know, and, and under threat of being fired every single day. If if not for Sid Sheinberg kind of blocking the studio, he probably would have, and the and the movie would have been sunk. You know, pun intended. Yeah. Um, wow. But just the struggles he went through, and you know, they did daily rewrites of the script. Um, you know, every single day they didn't know whether or not the shark was going to work, so they tried to. They had to find other ways of doing it. It's just, it's, uh, it's just a, you know, a. The, a the, fun, the, the great, the funny thing, and the great thing is, you know, everybody knows, everybody knows the story, but because they couldn't get the shark to work correctly, it actually made. Oh it yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the whole, the whole um, documentary is this is tribute to, just guerrilla filmmaking in with a big budget, and that's yeah. really what mm-hmm. Jaws was. Because yeah, they yeah. had to work, around, they had to work around the difficulties, but it made it for a better movie, much better. Right. Oh yeah, it's definitely a, it's one of those movies that was saved, just like Star Wars, it was saved in the editing room. Yeah. And um, actually, I was just talking with my coworker today. Is like, imagine if Jaws was uh, was edited Mar- by Marsha Lucas and Star Wars was edited by Verna Fields. Hmm. That would be an interesting one. That that's an interesting interesting thought experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing. That's, that's my stuff. Awesome, Catherine. Anything left? Um, I only had podcasts left, but seems like you skipped Tiger King. Um, I I did only because I it's it's not something that I have a passion for, but feel free to bring it up if you want to, because I left it on there. Then I'm like, we're running long, but. <laughs> 
Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Joe Exotic, and this is Sarge. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma who owned 1,200 tigers and lions and bears and shit. Come here, love me. <laughs> Matt Spokin, good looking, love to party and have fun. I don't think we're done blowing shit up today. I don't think you are. <laughs> they have a heart and a soul and a mind. I've learned from them. But Carol Baskin keeps saying, I can't have these tigers. If he ever had an enemy in his life, it was Carol Baskin. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, it's Carol at Big Cat Rescue. Carol is the Mother Teresa of cats. We will end the private possession of these cats. This is my way of living, and nobody's going to tell me any otherwise. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a moment, because it did have a moment in early COVID, and then yeah, they're like, yeah, it was, it was it's, very much it's a popular. Yeah. The second season, it's like, no, no, no. The reason why people watched it was because we were all home during COVID. Like we yeah. watched, we watched a few episodes in order to get the the gist of it. Oh my God, what a mess! Those people are all a mess. I never yeah. watched this one. And then the thing oh. is, nobody, nobody comes off looking good in that. No, not not, not, not a single person. Man. I mean, I mean, Joe Exotic is just like he's ever. He's like the worst redneck he's also like the worst gay person ever yeah like literally <laughs> no favors i thought yeah i thought, I thought glenn, glenn greenwald was pretty bad but jesus christ yeah but yeah, i i do like listening to behind the bastards and they're talking about like carol baskin's husband like the one that vanished everyone's like oh she fed him to a tiger and Robert was just like, no nah, rich dudes used to just buy airplanes and just sink them into the sea because this is what they use their money for. That's probably what happened. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was this one episode of Behind the Bastards because they were just like, it was mostly just like, we know people that own these tigers. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't get enough Billy Wayne Davis on, on anymore. But yeah. But yeah, it was just, I, I, it's like. It's it's funny the the one thing that I kind of get out get out of these documentary kind of documentaries is like you see this whole subculture that you had no idea existed like I didn't th- who knew ti- things like tiger gurus existed I I you kind know? of had a concept because I'd been watching uh oh I can't remember the name of the series that was on uh but it was on Animal Planet and it was just like deadly deadly attractions or something like that. We're like, yeah. And there was like, there was this one guy that had like, you know, he was like collecting tigers and other things. And he lived in a tiny apartment in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was trying to file it as like a zoo or something. And it's just like, no. No, but, it, but, but it's like that, you know, that, that quote unquote doctor who had that, the, the tiger zoo in in south carolina who had the the harem i'm like oh yeah (laughs) oh i found a gift too i was i was like looking for gifts for tiger king for to put up for the show and there's that one gif of like that dude that was part of the the whole tiger ring that overweight guy with the mullet just like coming it into frame on a jet ski (laughs) oh god god (laughs) Yeah, I, I I never watched a single episode of this, but I still know about that bitch Carol Baskin. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. We, hey. we watched. We only watched a couple episodes, and then we were like, "We're good." 
Yeah, we we had to see that, that at least that first season through just to see what happened, and he ended up in jail. So, yeah, and he was hoping for for Donald to save him. Yep, that you know didn't happen. So, all right, uh, uh, Joe, you got anything else to take us home with? No, I'm good. I'm done. I, I don't want to depress anybody anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, fun. Hey, this was this was really interesting. It's it's very. Very illuminating too, because I think all all of our choices really illuminate the people that we are. Yeah. We all had very different things going on. I'm gonna need to take a good long time reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna stare into a mirror with like one hand, just like just on the corner of it. What what am I? What have I become? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great conversation. So, our next episode, um, we are going to be talking. We're finally getting into talking about the movies of 1992. Um, scheduling issues were not resolved, but I we've got a workaround for that. So, we may or may not have a guest. Haven't figured that out yet, but we are finally going to look back at 30 years worth of uh, the films of 1992. So we'd love to know what some of your favorites are. You can let us know by following us on uh, the social medias on uh, Twitter, Geek Salad Radio, uh, for as long as we're not being charged for Twitter. And uh, Facebook at Geek Salad Podcast. You can also send your submissions to our Gmail, Geek Salad, Ra- uh, Geek Salad Radio at Gmail. Dot com. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. You can check out all our episodes wherever you get your podcast. But if you'd prefer to get that full list, it's Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. We're there. You can get us there. Give us a five-star review on iTunes if you are using that. And check out our T-Public store, um, uh, keyword Geek Salad Podcast, if uh, you are looking for any swag. Guys, did I forget anything? We all good? Good. I think that's everything. All right, fantastic. Well, until next time, I'm Andy. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Catherine. And there is no bitch Carol Baskin. And go forth. Abby Nerfel will talk to you later. Here we see a honey bear not engaged in a life or their struggle about anything. These honey bears are placid and peaceful creatures and consequently bad television. <laughs>